0: What's up, everybody? Welcome back to more Shooting the Schmidt. Super excited for today's show. Got a pretty good lineup for today. So, the Suns swept the Nuggets last night. Kyrie got hurt in the Nets Bucks game. Or I'm going to go into the 12 team college football playoff a little bit. And if you've listened to me at all, you know how much I love college football. And we're going to close it out with some 76ers and Hawks and Clippers Jazz, both of the both game fives or game. Game four is going on tonight, so super excited for that. So let's get started with the Nuggets and the Suns. So let's start with, you know, the biggest controversy of this game so far. You know, it's obviously the Jokic flagrant two foul that was called. Just going to be honest, should not have been a flagrant two. It was an absolutely terrible call. Absolutely terrible call. I mean... You know, he, he swiped at the ball. He made contact with the ball. And obviously, you know, he did hit Cameron Payne in the face. Like, that's that's inexcusable. There's a wind-up. There's follow-through. There's all that. Should have been a flagrant one and play on. Like, that's what it should have been. There clearly wasn't any malicious intent. You know, Jokic's comments after the game. So he was just trying to commit a hard foul to kind of change the flow of the game to kind of switch some things up. And, yeah, you know, like, clearly wasn't intentional. You know, that's Jokic's first flagrant foul in, like, three years, something crazy like that. So, like, clearly not malicious. You know, it looks really bad, you know, At like, during the game. Like, when it happened, it was like, oh, man, that looks really bad. And then you go back on the replay, and you see, like, his upper bicep hit Cameron Payne in the face. Now, look, Yogi's is a big dude. Like, I mean, he just is. So, obviously, like, it hurt. Like, Cameron Payne totally justified and fallen to the ground. Obviously, there should have been a foul call. Should not, shouldn't have been a flagrant two, though. I love Devin Booker. You know, bowing up, getting, you know, nose to nose with Jokic. You know, I think that's awesome. You know, you got to love it when teammates stand up for, for their other guys, especially when it's a star standing up for, you know, a role player. And so, yeah, it's just really bad call. This shouldn't have been called. It was, it was just bad. And so after the game, first of all, you know, Chris Paul is getting a ton of love right now, as he should. You know, he's one of the best, you know, floor generals that we've ever seen play the point guard position. His ability to, Get other people involved. His ability just to know when he needs to score is just—it's second to none, almost. I mean, he's awesome when it comes to knowing where he kind of fits within the flow of the game. He's great at getting Devin Booker the ball. He's great at getting DeAndre Ayton going early. I mean, he's just—he's just so smart, and his ability to know when to step in and score versus when to facilitate more. It's really impressive, you know, like like I said, he's one of the greatest four generals we've ever had. Michael Malone, because you can't call him Mike Malone anymore, <laughs> came out after the game and said that Chris Paul is arguably the greatest point guard of all time, and that is, that's just not true. I'm sorry. I love Chris Paul. He's one of my favorite players ever. And even when he was in New Orleans and he was tearing up my Mavericks growing up, I mean, he's... You know, an awesome player, and I absolutely love him. You know, I won't lie. Like, I've been pulling for the Suns because I want to see Chris Paul get a ring. But to say he's the greatest point guard ever, I think, is kind of ridiculous. You see, he's a top five point guard ever for sure. You know, him, Isaiah Thomas, Magic Johnson, obviously, you know, the greatest point guard ever. You know, those guys, for those three are for sure in there. You can make an argument for John Stockton. Isaiah Thomas has to be up there. Oscar Robertson has to be up there. So, I mean, just... To say he's the greatest ever it's really hard especially when he doesn't have a championship yet and hopefully you know there's a possibility where he gets one this year and if that happens then maybe you know you can make a case for it but until that happens you can't say he's the greatest point guard ever when Magic Johnson has you know 5 rings which is really impressive so yeah sorry Michael Malone Chris Paul is not the greatest point guard ever no that's just I heard that you know, and all these people on Twitter were going crazy about it, being like, "Oh, you know, he could be right." No, he's not. I'm sorry, Chris Paul is not the greatest point guard ever. So, people are hopping onto this Suns bandwagon really, really quickly, which is awesome. You know, love that. Like, I really like this team as well. Devin Booker's playing out of his mind. Chris Paul already went in on him, how great he's been playing. Jay Crowder has found the touch from deep. I really like Macau Bridges. You know, his ability to shoot the ball, he's long, he plays really good defense. The Suns team plays really good defense in general. They're really scrappy. DeAndre Ayton is really coming into coming into his own. But people are like penciling in like a Brooklyn Nets versus Phoenix Suns finals, or at least they were before Ky- Kyrie Irving went down. I'm I don't know if the Suns are gonna beat the Jazz or the Clippers. You know, they they can probably beat the Jazz. If you're the Suns, you would much rather see the Jazz than than the Clippers. I'm I, I you can't pencil them in though like this is a really good Clippers team and I know you know social media really likes to make fun of the Clippers we like to make fun of pandemic P we like to make fun of Kawhi Leonard and all these different things but like that's a really good basketball team and you can't just write them or the Jazz off like there's a reason why the Jazz had the best record in the NBA right like you know the Clippers have two of, two of the best wing players in the league and Paul George and Kawhi Leonard so. You can't just pencil the Suns in like a bunch of people are kind of starting to do. And so I just, not so fast. You know, you got to slow down a little bit. And as much as, you know, I love the Suns. I think if the Suns play the Jazz, I think the Suns will beat the Jazz. I don't know if they're going to beat the Clippers. Like that, that is a really good basketball team. That's a team who shoots it really well from three. You know, we'll go more into them here later on in the show. But yeah, just slow roll a little bit on the Suns, people. Like really good basketball team. Not good enough where you can just pencil them in like like you could the Lakers last year over the Nuggets. So let's switch gears a little bit. Let's go to the other favorite to come out of the East, the Brooklyn Nets. Kyrie Irving injury. Man, it looked bad. Rolled his ankle badly, went up for a rebound, came down on Giannis's foot and rolled it. Not on purpose by Giannis. It's just one of those things that happen when you play basketball. Yeah, I mean, I went out and played the other day. It happened to me. Obviously not as bad, but... I mean, like it's, he's going to be out for a while. Like it looked really bad. Probably won't be back for the rest of the series. And, you know, I was reading in some articles earlier today. It looks like James Harden won't be back for Game 5. They want him to do some more intense workouts before they bring him back. Which means it's time, Kevin Durant. Okay, Kevin Durant, it is, it is time for you to prove what a lot of people are saying right. You have to show people right now why you're the best player in the world. Okay, we're not asking you to go on the road to Milwaukee and win a game. We're just asking you to hold serve at home. Win game five, you can lose game six on the road, and then win game seven. Hold serve. That's all we're asking you to do. Okay, Blake Griffin, he's going to have to play even better than what he's already been playing. I'm interested to see who they have initiate the offense now with James Harden and Kyrie Irving out. It's going to be really interesting to see kind of how they pivot and do that. And I, this is going to be, this has gotten a lot more interesting. You know, the Nets role players are really good. You know, they got Jeff Greenback finally. He's going to be having any, an even more important role now. Not only offensively, but defensively as well. And so it's going to be really interesting to kind of see how Steve Nash navigates some of these waters with, you know, their second and third best player out. And here's the thing, you know, hopefully James Harden comes back for Game 6. Maybe Game 7. I mean, he's, you know, he's got a hamstring injury and, if you ever if you've ever had a hamstring injury then you know like it is it is tough. You know, you feel fine, you wake up, you go out and you start running and then, you know, you tweak it again. It is a very tender injury. It's not hard to aggravate, you know, your hamstring. So, it's going to be interesting to kind of see how they manage Harden knowing that it's re- it's even more important to have him back now with Kyrie Irving out. So, once again, it's going to be interesting to see how they do that. Kevin Durant, yeah, it's time, dude. Like, let's let's see what you got. Okay, like go out play. I guess not the reigning league MVP, but you know a two-time MVP in Giannis. Like, like go, like let's see you do it. You know, let's see you go get you know forty-five these next three games. Like, because let's be honest here, Kevin Durant is more than capable of winning two games by himself. I don't care who they're playing against. Okay, this dude can score whenever he wants. He's a really good defender as well. So I'm interested to see how aggressive he is coming out in this next game. I mean, it's him. It's him against the Bucks. That's really what it feels like. And, you know, if the Nets role players can do what they do well, and that's knock down open shots, you know, they've got tons of shooters around Kevin Durant. You know, they may space the floor. I'm going to assume that they're going to run a lot of ISO with Kevin Durant. Because let's be honest, Kevin Durant, he can, get, he, he can get a good shot whenever he wants. Okay, like his, he's automatic from 15 to 18 feet. and you know, He finishes great around the rim. Obviously, you know, we know he shoots the ball well from three. So I'm interested to see how much ISO they do with Kevin Durant this next game. How are the Bucks going to adjust, knowing that now it's just Kevin Durant. So it's going to be interesting. I'm really excited for it. So we're going to take a short break. When we come back, we're going to get into the college football playoff. That was a bunch of big news this last week. And we're going to go into some of the more finite details on it and things like that. So it should be good. Don't, don't go anywhere. Like I said, we're going to take a short break. You were listening to Shooting the Schmidt. and we're back with more shooting the schmidt. Now if you've been listening to me over the last year whether that's you know, on campus at Henderson whether that's you know back when the podcast was called overtime takes you will know that i absolutely love college football. Okay, i love college sports in general. I love college basketball. You know, i've been watching a lot of you know the college baseball super originals here. I watched the women's college world series. Like i just Love college sports. They have a very special place in my sports heart and just absolutely love them. And obviously, you know, college football is the biggest attraction when it comes to college sports. And we've had some pretty big news. There's been a lot of debate over the past few years of is a 14 playoff enough? Do we need to add more teams? People have talked about a 16 playoff. That's honestly kind of, I think, where I lean. People have talked about a 16 team playoff. People have talked about 12. People have talked about eight. And so on and so forth. And there's going to be a proposal for a 12 team college football playoff, which is super interesting. So, here's kind of the way that it would work the four highest ranked conference champions would be seated one through four, and each of them would receive a first round bye, while teams seated five through 12 would play one another in the first round on their own home field, which would be awesome. The atmosphere for those games would be absolutely incredible. And I mean, like that. Alone, immediately makes me perk up. So, going back, looking at last year, and what the rankings were, here is how it would have worked. So, Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State, and Oklahoma would have been the top four seeds, and they all four would have gotten buys because Alabama won the SEC, Clemson won the ACC, Ohio State won the Big Ten, then Oklahoma, the fourth, the fourth highest-ranked Power Five conference championship champion, would would be the four seed. Meaning that Notre Dame would be the five because Notre Dame isn't in a conference, therefore they wouldn't get the first round bye, which is really interesting. It's going to be interesting to kind of see how that works with Notre Dame. They've got their TV deal with NBC, you know, they've got ACC ties because they're in you know the ACC for baseball. I believe they're in the ACC for basketball as well, and so it'll be interesting to kind of see what Notre Dame wants to do. They played in the ACC this last year. Actually, I take that back. Notre Dame would have been the four seed last year because they played in the ACC that year. But in a normal year, they they wouldn't be because they're 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 an independent. So the so the top four wouldn't change. Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State, Notre Dame, all four would have had buys. Then here's what the quote unquote first round matchups would have been. So a And M would have played Coastal Carolina at home. Can we be honest? Like that wouldn't have been a good game. Texas a And M would have ran them out of the building. Oklahoma would have played Indiana, which would have been an interesting game. Oklahoma at home. Indiana obviously, you know, their starting quarterback got hurt last year, so you know, they ended up sliding a little bit down down the stretch. But, you know, Indiana was a good football team. That would have been an interesting matchup. Florida would have played Iowa State, which I think would have been a good game. And then we would have had Cincinnati and Georgia. I think Georgia would have ran Cincinnati out of the building. Now I know Cincinnati played them really close in the bowl game, but remember Georgia had ten guys sit out, I believe. So things would have been a little bit different. Georgia's better players would have played; game probably wouldn't have been close. I say all this to say that I think this is a good idea for the college for college football. And here's why. Personally, I I think I like six teams more than twelve, but I think that there are some there there are definitely some positives to 12. First of all, if you do 12 teams, you know your group of 6 teams can get in like last year there would have been two, you would have Cincinnati, you would have in coastal carolina. So, you know, you get your, you know, undefeated group of 6 teams into the playoff, which which is good for the sport. I think it makes the regular season matter. I I just I don't know if it makes the regular season regular season matter more or not because 14 playoff, you basically have to go undefeated and win your conference championship, whereas 12-team playoff, Alabama can lose three games and still get in. And, I mean, I don't really know if I like that or not. Well, well I guess we'll kind of have to wait and see. It does allow room for if some of your better players get hurt and they miss a couple weeks and you lose because of that. It does allow some flexibility for that as well. So that's an interesting aspect of it. I really like how the top four teams get buys because it, it it rewards them for being the best team in their conference. It rewards them for winning their conference championship. It rewards them for going undefeated. Because look, if you're a top four seed, you probably went undefeated. You know, more more than likely, right? So, I like how they're not only they're going to reward these these top these top four seeds for having you know outstanding years, right? And see, it's it's gonna be. I just. I don't know. Like the more I think about it, the more skeptical I am. And, you know, I feel like it makes the regular season matter more for these teams that aren't as good, right? Like like the it's just it's going to be interesting. I feel like there's not as much pressure now to play high high-level competition outside of your conference, right? So like Alabama, like they don't have to schedule Ohio State in their non-conference schedule, okay? You know, A and M doesn't have to go play Clemson in their non-conference schedule because, you know, you you know you schedule Pepperdine, um, the Citadel, and East Tennessee State, and you go beat those three three teams, and then you go win your conference games, and you're in. And you don't even have to win all your conference games. You know, you can lose two of them and still get in. So I feel like the non-conference schedule, it now becomes less imperative that you schedule tough teams outside of your conference. And so, I I like how it's going to involve more teams. The, the big reason why I'm a fan of that is we're not going to see as many guys sit out, right? Like if Georgia had been in the college football playoff last year, you know those ten draft eligible players wouldn't have sat out. All ten of them would have played. So I like how we're going to get more high level competition after the regular season is over. But I'm just I'm not a fan of a three loss team making the playoff because like if you lose three games, that's you mean that means you lost a quarter of the games that you played. Like that's that means you're a good team, not not a great team. I feel like the the playoffs should be reserved for the great teams, not the really good teams, not the above average teams. It should be reserved for the great teams. And that's the thing with four, where you know, you you see the four best teams. Like these are the great teams in college football. These are the teams that only lost like one game or or no games, right? So it'll be interesting to kind of see Some of the pros and cons of this. I also think that there would be some blowouts. Like, I think A&M would blow Coastal Carolina out. I think Oklahoma would blow Indiana out. I think Georgia would have blown out Cincinnati. Florida and Iowa State may have been close. I'm really more of a fan of the 16 playoff and the top two seats get a bye. You know, because I think that, you know, it still stays pretty exclusive. Right, we're still look, we're looking at the six best teams in the country. Because like Oklahoma, that was a great team last year. They, they lost two games. It took them a couple weeks to figure some stuff out, but that was a really good football team by the end of the year. Texas A and M only lost one game all year. Like that's a great football team, and their one loss was to Alabama. So I, I'm more of a fan of the six team playoff. I understand why they're going to twelve though. They want to include more teams, more games, which means more money. That's ultimately why you know they're looking to expand the playoff. It's not because of No level of competition or anything like that. It's mostly about they're going to make more money if they hold more games. Now, I do really like the idea of letting these higher-seeded teams host. I think, you know, one of the best parts about college football is just the atmosphere that is brought. I mean, it's is—it's second to none. Like I think college football atmospheres are better than NFL atmospheres. You know, just because you have students who are going crazy and there's a lot of pride in college football, especially down in the South, and so, I really like the idea of letting these higher-seeded teams in these five through twelve matchups host. I think it's going to bring a lot of energy, a lot of excitement, and these the schools are going to love it because that's more 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 profit for them. And at the same time, you know, you still have your bowl game tie-ins in the next few, I guess, three rounds is what it would be, right? Because then the world would play the eight, four, yeah, three in the next three rounds. You still you still have your bowl game tie-ins, which works out perfectly for all the sponsors of bowl games and things like that. So. Yeah, it'll be interesting. So, this won't go into effect if it passes. They, the Cost Football Playoff Committee starts to vote on it. So, this next year, 14 playoff. If it passes, it'll go. It'll start the year after this. So, 2023, right? Yeah. So, some 2022. The year after this. However you do the math on that. So, yeah, it'll be interesting. There's some pros. There's some cons. It'll be interesting to kind of see how it all works out. So, we're going to take a short break and we come back we're going to go into the NBA playoff games going on tonight. The Hawks are hosting the 76ers for game 4 and the Clippers are hosting the Jazz for game 4. Both games should be great. I'm going to tell you who to bet on, who to pick to win, all that. So don't go anywhere. You're not going to want to, you're not going to want to miss it. This is Shooting the Schmidt. And we're back with the final segment of today's show here on Shooting the Schmidt. We're going to look at tonight's playoff games. We got the 76ers and the Hawks. First, I think they play at 7:30 Eastern Time tonight, and then we got the Clippers and the Jazz play at 10 o'clock Eastern. Man, so I, I had to move back home after after college, and so I'm, I'm I'm living at home right now. I'm in the Eastern Time Zone, and man, it sucks. <laughs> basketball games will start to like 10 o'clock. You know, I'm up to like 1:30 watching basketball. I mean, it's yeah, it's rough, but it's okay. I love it though. So here we go: 76ers and Hawks tell you right now take the Hawks to win tonight if you want to take them to win at least take them to cover the three-point underdogs I'm I'm taking the Hawks okay so w- when we look at game three they only sh- they only made six threes that game okay this is one of the better three-point shooting teams left in the playoffs they have several guys who can line it up and knock them down they only made six threes now look like the 76ers fantastic defensive team between Thigh and And Danny Green was hurt now. Ben Simmons, you know, the best defender in the NBA. I don't care if he didn't win the Defensive Player of the Year. Ben Simmons is the best defender in the league. And despite all that, like as great as they are, look, this Hawks team, they can shoot the ball. They shot 26% from three in game three. That's not going to happen again. I mean, it it could happen again, but the chances of of it happening again are very slim. You know, the 76ers still haven't found an answer to Trey Young. I mean, he had 28 points on 52% shooting this last game. I mean, he's just absolutely unstoppable. And, you know, the difference was, you know, the Hawks didn't make their threes and the 76ers did. You know, that was really the difference. And I really think that the 76ers are going to miss Danny Green. And, look, people love to kind of pick on Danny Green, and you know, especially on Twitter, especially Laker fans, you know, which is fine. You know, that's cool. I don't blame you. He wasn't very good last year in the bubble. But look, like this is a really good defender. He's tall, he's long, he's smart, okay? He hits open shots especially in big games, except for last year in the bubble. And so, you know, the 76ers, they're really I think they're really going to miss him, especially the way that he spaces the floor cuz look, even if he's not knocking down shots, like people know like this guy can shoot it. You got to get out to him. And so, it's going to be interesting to kind of see you know, I'm assuming Seth Curry will probably get a bump in minutes just cuz, you know, he spaces the floor in the same way. The problem is he's nowhere near as good of a defender as Danny Green is. You know, Seth Curry works hard. You know, he's in the right position, but in terms of on-ball, he just doesn't have the same size and length as Danny Green, so it'll be interesting to kind of see how they supplement those minutes around. And yeah, I mean, it's it's going to be interesting to kind of see how they try to fill that hole. And look Embiid's is gonna be Embiid. you know he dominated this last game, and he's probably gonna dominate again. Ben Simmons looked really good in game three came out really aggressive, so it's gonna be interesting, right? you know, expect for Trey Young to have another good night. I mean, he's just a tough guy to guard. what he does on on the screen and roll is just super impressive, and yeah so and expect for them to you know to knock down their shots. They are the home team roll role players tend to play better at home. So I would expect them to knock down their shots. Keep an eye on Joel Embiid because it seems like every game he comes down awkwardly on that knee and he grimaces. So hopefully you know he can stay healthy because look, if Embiid gets hurt, I would I would take the Hawks to win the to win the to win the series. But you know, let me not get ahead of myself here. I still like the Seventy Sixers to take it. But yeah, take the Hawks to win tonight. Their backs are against the wall. They know they have to win tonight. Seventy Sixers are probably going to relax a little bit. Just because they know that they have home court advantage again. So I really expect for the Hawks to come out, play hard, win the game, win a close game. You know, they'll probably win by somewhere between 5 and 8 points. Trey Young, expect for for him to have a big night. And yeah, so should be a great game. I've absolutely fallen in love with this Hawks team and just the young talent that they have around Trey Young. Nate McMillan fantastic coaching job. You know, the Hawks need need to lock him up before somebody like the Trail Blazers comes and snatches him up. I mean, he is just he's done wonders for this team and I've been really impressed with them. And yeah, so take the Hawks to win tonight, the 3 point underdogs. I, I really like I really like the the Hawks tonight. So now let's switch over to the Clippers and the Jazz. This is the game that I really have circled like the 76ers Hawks series. You know, it's it's a fun series to watch, but at the end of the day, like, like I think people know, like the Seventy Sixers are going to win the series unless Embiid goes down. So, whereas with this Clippers Jazz series, you know, I I like the Clippers to win the series. You know, I said Clippers and six, I do think that they'll win every game the rest of the way out. But at the same time, like this is a really good Jazz team, and it's a team that shoots the ball really well from three. They're two nights away from shooting forty five percent from three and and winning the series. Like that is something that that they are more than capable of doing. With that being said though, the Jazz lost game 3 by 26 after shooting 43% from 3. That that that's alarming if you're a Utah Jazz fan cuz like that's what you do well, you did it at a remarkable clip and you lost by 26. I mean, that is that is not okay <laughs> to say the least, right? And you know, it's gonna be interesting to see what defensive adjustments they make against the Clippers. You know, Paul George and Kawhi Leonard both finally played well. They both scored thirty plus in the, in their last game. And I mean, it's just they they've they just looked really good the other night. And so I'm interested to see the defensive adjustments that the Jazz look to make. Donovan Mitchell still had thirty the other night, didn't score in the first quarter though. So, you know, hopefully, you know, he'll come out, look to be a little bit more aggressive going forward. And, yeah, I mean, the Clippers, man, they're just, they're just, they're so much more, they're more talented than the Jazz. I think at the end of the day, that's why I picked them, you know, to win. Like, Kawhi finally played well, he had 34-12 and the other night. Before Game 3, they they showed a stat, and basically, Donovan Mitchell by himself was matching what Kawhi Leonard and Paul George were doing, which is really impressive by, you know, Donovan Mitchell, you know, he's a great player. I mean, you know, he's on his way to being a superstar. But, you know, it's oh man, it is just it's gonna be interesting to kind of see the adjustments that are made here by the Jazz. Because look, if Kawhi Leonard and Paul George are both scoring thirty between thirty and thirty five, their chances of winning are not going to be very good because, you know, to beat the Clippers, you have to stop either Paul George or Kawhi. Like, like if one guy gets, you know, 35, then you got to keep the other guy to somewhere between 18 and 22 in order to have a shot at beating them. And so I think that your best chance, if you're the Jazz, you know, you let Kawhi go get 35 because, let's be honest, Kawhi Leonard, you know, he's one of the five best players in the NBA. Paul George is the guy who's proven that, you know, he can possibly not show up. And so if you were the Jazz, I think that you manipulate your defense to try to stop Paul George because he's the guy who's proven that, you know, there's going to be nights where he doesn't show up. And the nights when he does show up, the Clippers run through people because you know, like, Kawhi Leonard is going to play well, okay? You don't know what Paul George is going to do, which is, you know, the scary part of betting on the Clippers to win a series because, you know, pandemic peak has show up and scored 12 points on 24 shots, Right. So it's going to be interesting to kind of see how the Jazz change what they do defensively. Hopefully Mike Conley is back for tonight. I think that's going to add a whole other loop here to this series in terms of how the Clippers play defense. And look, Mike Conley's another really good player. You know, f- finally made an all-star team this year. And yeah, it's going to be fun. I'm super excited for the game tonight. I do like the Clippers to win. I think they'll win pretty handily as well. You know, they know that they need this game to, you know, give themselves a shot at winning the series, so, super excited for that, it's going to be a great great game tonight, just hate that it's at 10 o'clock at night, so, that's going to do it here at Shooting the Schmidt, thank you so much, you know, for for taking the time to to listen to the podcast, if you want to hear more from me, feel free to go follow me on Twitter at jschmidt underscore four, feel free to go follow the TikTok at shooting underscore the underscore schmidt, you know, I'm starting to try to post more and more stuff on there, so. Yeah, that's going to do it here at Shooting the Schmidt. Thank you so much again for listening, and I will see you guys again on Wednesday.